Hello everybody, welcome to Cardboard Cave, your one-stop shop for cardboard. <laughs> well, no use to do a retake. That's Miles, my son. He's going to be here for some of the recordings, so if you hear him, uh, that's him. He's five months old. And I'm also here with my wife, Anna. Yep, I'm here too. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm not loud enough, apparently. No, I'm, I'm probably going to be reminding her constantly to speak into the microphone, which is really annoying when people do that. But anyways, <laughs> we're here uh, with a new board game podcast because there's not enough of those around. I mean, that's sarcasm, but real briefly, what sets this one apart is basically we're just going to get to the point. We're going to talk about usually one game, maybe a couple of games that are related somehow in an episode. And I think what might be a little different than the more popular podcasts that are going to be more successful than this one, frankly, is uh, we're going to talk about whatever game we want to talk about. It's not always going to be the new hotness. Um, you know, if we want to talk about El Grande, we're going to talk about El Grande. I'm just looking at my games on my shelf and that one sticks out. Or Raw. Raw is a great game and Anna's not even played that. Anyways. Have I played the Grande one? You know. I don't think <laughs> so, I've played that one either. I guess that's a good jumping off point. I'm not going to waste your time with a bunch of backstory. We're going to talk about a game real quick. But my name's Trevor. I'm 35 years old. Um, feel like I'm going on 50. That sounded painful. I had to think about 35. it. Um, And I got into gaming... Goodness. How long ago was was it when I was 18? I guess 17 years ago, give or take. Um, I was probably 17, 18 years old. Uh, me and my brother and my cousin got together. On Sundays, we met at my grandma's house, which was awesome. Ate a bunch of food. And then we just looked for a way to kill some time, you know. And once we started growing out of, you know, the childhood games, like tag and, you know, Nerf guns, stuff like that. Um... We found board games laying around the house, things like Sorry and Aggravation. Um, and I just, I wanted something more at some point. Like, I had no idea about this world of, of board games beyond, you know, your mainstream stuff. But I just wanted something more. Anyways, long story short, I ended up on Amazon. And this was early days of Amazon. Um, I don't know how long Amazon's been around, but I remember it was a big deal just getting on Amazon. Um, I don't think I'd ever actually bought anything on there at that point. And I found this game called Spy Alley. And Spy Alley is a, it's a mainstream game. I guess it's not considered a hobby game, but it just looked different. But, spoiler, I never actually bought that game. <laughs> Still to this day, haven't played it. But it got me thinking about other games. So I got on the Google. Um, you know, at the time, I think it was probably a battle between Yahoo and Google, so I don't know which one I got on. But, ended up on this website called Board Game Geek. I'm sure a few of you have heard of that. And the floodgates opened. Um, my first board game order was from timewellspent.org, which was a great uh, a great little company, uh, online game store. Placed several of my early game orders through them. Uh, I remember some of the first games in my first order. Uh, Citadels was one of them. Um, Clans, which is a Leo Calvini abstract strategy game. Bonanza, the card game from Uwe Rosenberg, before he was doing the big stuff like Agricola and Lahav and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> and there again is Miles. He's looking right at me right now. He's adorable. Um, Miles is five months old, so we are a new family. 
But anyways, my first game order was some games like that. Eventually, I got Ticket to Ride not long after that, you know. Settlers of Gatan was pretty early on, but it wasn't like my first game like it is for a lot of people. And that was pretty much it for me. So that was like 17, 18 years ago. And I've kind of been in the hobby ever since. Like a lot of people, I tend to buy games more than I play them. In recent years, I've really tried to remedy that, slow down my purchasing disorder, and actually play the games more. Um, and I met my wife seven years ago. Is it more like eight when we met? Probably more like eight. So we've been altogether. married six years. Six years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've been married six years. Uh, we just had our son five months ago. And uh, Anna, do you want to real quickly, <laughs> while you try to wrestle our son, just tell us how were you introduced to these modern board games? Okay, so growing up, my extent of games were that we had like a Monopoly and a Monopoly Junior shoved in the cabinet. Um, we might have played it once, and I hated it. And we used the pieces for our Barbie houses. Like we pulled all the fake money out and put it in our purses. I had three sisters, so we just played with the pieces and didn't really play with the board game very much. Um, we had a couple of other, you know, the mouse trap game. Um, I really liked Clue. I did like that one growing up. So I also played youth games, but they were more party games and I always kind of hated them because they were just kind of performance based. Like you had to get up and talk in front of people and that's not my favorite thing to do. So it's so, great that we're doing this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I actually <laughs> have a little nervousness just sitting by ourselves in the basement talking into a microphone. Well, I am judging you. So. Yeah. I'm, well, <laughs> um, you've already told me I'm too quiet. So, But anyway, when we went on our first date and Trevor said that he liked board games, <laughs> I was like, okay. And uh, it's like, I don't, I don't, I mean, just, you know, Monopoly popped into my head and that's about the extent of it and we played a couple of games a couple of group games that were different and fun and not so stressful but just fun um but I think Ticket to Ride was the first game that I played that when we got done I was like well this is just really cool I, I really enjoyed that I enjoyed having to think through my next move and the strategy behind it and I was pretty much hooked from then on out so I really love it now so I guess I have Ticket to Ride to thank for my, my marriage because it kind of showed Anna that I wasn't totally crazy for enjoying these games so much although I don't know what I was thinking on our very first date to just bring up that I love board games well you're being honest I was being really honest yeah <laughs> and I guess it, it's um it shows some good uh good on you for not dismissing me outright because there's no I still to this day I think it's a wonderful hobby, and I love sharing it with people, and I have shared it with a lot of people. We'll get into that in future episodes. But there's no good way that I've found to say that that's like one of your main hobbies, and people understand it. Right. It's getting more popular, but I, I don't know. I've still not found a good way to do that. Um, but that being said, that's a little bit about us. There's three of us now, like I said, with our son, Miles. And if this podcast continues, if it's something we enjoy doing, and then some people listen then um, one day he might be playing games with us and you'll get to hear his opinions. For hmm. now, you just get to hear it when he's uh, angry. Hmm. So, you know, I said one of the things I think will set this podcast apart is we're not just going to cover the new hot games. 
Um, I got a lot of games on my shelf that need to get played, and this podcast is a good excuse to play them. Yeah, we're literally sitting here looking at like 350 games on the shelves right now. Uh, so or more. <laughs> yes, there's a lot of games in this house. According to Board Game Geek, it's more than that, but I'm not going to talk about that right now. Um, I got a few games. That's the bottom line, and. I don't feel like there's a lot of podcasts out there where you hear about a lot of these games anymore. It's always about what's new and what's next. But all that being said, the game we're talking about today is kind of a hot new game. (laughs) New-ish game. And that is Wingspan. Um, And we're just talking about this because we just played it and we thought it was a good place to start. It's a a new game to us. It's been out for several months now. Um, But Wingspan is a game released by Stonemaier Games. It is designed by Elizabeth Hargrove. It is her first game design, and she is super interesting. She's interesting in that she's not a board game designer. But I guess nobody's a board game designer until they design their first game. Um, yeah. She was not a board game designer before. She was a, a hobby ornithologist. Okay, Miles. Simmer down, boy. <laughs> she was a hobby ornithologist and, uh, you know, loved birds. And I can't remember what her day job is. I mean, it was pretty impressive, but it was, you know, kind of a normal job. Anyway, so I just think it's a pretty cool backstory. A pretty cool backstory that... Doesn't think it's sorry, if, if you don't enjoy the sounds of babies making sounds. Basically, the options are, we're going to do this podcast now, or wait five years until he can take care of himself to some extent. <laughs> Um, so I'd just rather do it now and, uh, there's just going to be some interruptions and that's what it is. But I would look into Elizabeth Hargrove. She has a cool article on NewYorkTimes.com. Actually, it's a pretty cool article. Check it out. Um, art is by actually three different women. Um, Natalie Rojas, Rojas. Rojas, yeah. Oh, I should be able to say this name. Well, half of it is just, okay. (laughs) It's Anna, Anna Maria Martinez Jaramillo. Haramio. Haramio, there you go. I should let you do this. And Beth Sobel. Okay, Beth Sobel, I've heard of. She She's a well-known board game artist. Um, by the way, I'm terrible at pronunciations. I'll make very few apologies for that. Um, <laughs> but that is what it is. And Wingspan is, at its core, a card-playing game. I mean, it's it's you've got boards. Actually, each player has their own board. But at its heart is this huge deck of cards. And really, it's an engine-building game. And what I mean by engine building is you start out without a lot of abilities. You start out not being able to do much. But as you play the game and you lay these cards down, they sort of build off of each other. Um, This game has been compared to Terraforming Mars, if some of you have played that, I'm sure. Which I think is a heavier game than this. Um, Elizabeth Hargrove herself said it was an inspiration. Uh, In reality, this is a much much closer to family weight game. To me, this is still... If you played something like Ticket to Ride or, I don't know, Carcassonne, Dixit, um, maybe even Pandemic. I would say this is a slight step above Pandemic. It's a step above Ticket to Ride in complexity, but not a huge step. It's somewhere between Ticket to Ride and Terraforming Mars, if that's helpful to you. <laughs> I would say it's less complex, maybe about like Settlers of Catan, which I- is probably not the best example anymore because that game is so old now, a lot of people have probably not played it, but... What, what were you going to say? I think it just takes a little... I, when we sat down to it, I feel like it 
I feel like it just plays a little differently than any other game I've played. And maybe it's mm-hmm. the theme or it does, yeah. that it has a lot of symbology in it. Like it, you have to play through it to get, you know, mm-hmm. to understand all the symbols. Um, and that is like Terraforming Mars, but just a lot less intensive. Right. Symbology. And I've only played Terraforming Mars once and it's been a long time really? ago. Yeah. So I, I have a hard time That's remembering I played that a lot more. Um, but yeah, it just, when you first sit down to it, it, it feels a little bit different. It takes a little getting used to just the way it plays, but once Which, you've played it through once, it's not. I agree with that, there. and I think that's a compliment to it because a lot of games feel pretty much like other games you played. Right. This one doesn't quite feel like any other game I've played. Um, yeah, I agree. At the heart of it, though, there's a big deck of cards. It's around 180 cards, and the amazing thing, like Terraforming Mars, each and every card is unique. And the best thing about that. Um, we'll get into components and art in a second, but each card has a bird drawing on it, an illustration, and uh, they're all unique. Um, so, very briefly, what you do on a turn is you have a board in front of you, and this board is basically a tableau. It's basically a place to put your cards down. You have three different rows you can put cards down in, and on your turn, you have four choices. Play a bird card, Get food, which is basically the way you pay for cards. Lay eggs, which are points, but also eggs are useful uh, for other things. Or you can draw new bird cards. That's basically it. You have those four choices. Um, And what you do is you simply put a cube down to represent your action on whichever one of those actions you want to do, and you do the action. And the great thing is the turns are really short because I do one action your opponent does an action. Um, I should mention it plays two, sorry, one to five players. We've mostly played it two. We played it once with three. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll probably hear that a lot from us. We tend to play two player a lot because it's just easier because we both enjoy the games and we're here together. Um, I'll go ahead and say I think I would gladly play with up to four. I think five would be a stretch. But the turns are pretty quick and it keeps going around to where everybody's out of action cubes. And then you score the round. At the end of the round, there's a bonus based on, for example, most eggs laid in a certain region. Um, I should mention each action has a region associated with it. I don't want to get too heavy into rules, but for example, the cards that help you gain food are in the forest region. The cards that help you lay eggs are in the um, grassland. And then the sea cards or the lake, water, whatever it is, are the ones that help you to draw more cards. So the engine building aspect is the more cards you lay down whenever you take that action. Let's say I want to get food. Okay. Well, you start out only gaining one food from the bird feeder, which we'll get to when we talk about components. You only get one food. But if you play enough cards in that row, you might start getting two food or even three food. Plus, after you take your action, every card with abilities in that row activates. So you might get bonus actions. And so you're building this bird engine, basically. Um, And by the end of the game, you're getting a lot more done, basically. Um, I think what sets it apart is probably the, the way that you're building this engine, but it's never overwhelming because you've only got, at most, five cards in a row. And you only look at that row. For example, if you lay eggs, you don't need to look at the other cards on the board, really. You're looking at the ones in that row because that's the action you chose. And the ultimate goal 
the way you earn points is simply the points on these bird cards you've played. Plus, there are bonus cards in the game that give you rewards for meeting certain goals. <laughs> so, Miles, is that what you think about the game? I agree, son. Uh, the bonus cards give you certain points for meeting certain goals. And then... <laughs> if anyone listens after this episode, we'll know if this is going to work or not. We'll find out. We might have to welcome a little bit. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> sorry. Chris, if you want to cut some of that out, you're going to hear Chris's name a lot. He's our, uh, our editor. Um, I'm lucky to have someone who's willing to do that. So, Chris, if you want to cut some of that out, have at it. If not, this is just going to be funny. Um, and then you got end of round goals. No use to go into that too much, but basically you're rewarded for doing things you're going to do anyways. And then also at the end of the game, all your eggs you've laid are a point apiece. Um, you can gather food on some of the cards, which is really thematic. Like, uh, the scavenger birds might gather mice. And so for every little mouse token you have on that card, you get a point. Uh, some cards gather other birds to them. And that's represented by tucking the card underneath. Basically, though, it's super simple scoring because everything is one point. Every token you have on a card, every card you have tucked under a card, every egg you have on a card, it's all one point each. So it's super simple scoring, and it really does make it easy to to know how you're doing. Um, and then total up your scores. Most points is the winner. You're not going to learn the game just from that explanation, but that really is the bulk of it. Um, and I just let's get into the review now. That that's a, that's good enough so you know how to play. So let's get into the review of Wingspan. Okay, components and art. Um, this, I mean, this game is gorgeous. There's just no way around it. Um, I actually did not. I think a lot of people wanted this game because it's Stonemaier Games and they're really popular. The only game I have from Stonemaier Games is Viticulture, which is a really good game. Oh, I think. Oh yeah, I like Viticulture. You're gonna have to speak. <laughs> <laughs> I said I like Viticulture. Yeah. Um, we both like Viticulture. But I can't say I'm like, I'm like a Stonemaier fanboy. Um, what drew me to this game actually was the theme. I thought, whoa, there's going to be a game about birds. And that might sound weird, but I actually think that's really cool. I actually prefer that over another game about zombie hunting or going through a dungeon. I mean, I don't know. I just love... I'm not a birder. I'm not a bird expert. Ornithologist. Whatever. <laughs> but I love unique themes. Uh, I have a game here sitting on the table I'm um, uh, looking forward to playing called Riverboat. Um, honestly, what drew me to that game was kind of the odd theme of the Riverboat. <laughs> so I just love odd themes, and this is just such a cool thing to me. Um, what's your impression of the, the way the game looks? So, uh, well, I'm I'm a sucker for a theme as well, and this game is just seamlessly thematic, and it's um it's beautiful in that all of the cards are individual right there's a diff every single yeah. card is a different bird 180 cards all completely individual so it's really beautiful art and um your habitat board it just the colors the watercolors are really pretty 
My favorite part, my favorite component is the are the little wooden eggs. Um, they're all in just different colors, and um, I, I love that. And it's just a beautiful game. It it automatically draws your eye, and but I do love that the theme goes with it. That the theme is just so so seamless as well. Mm-hmm. But that goes into gameplay. I think too that once you to me when a theme works really well then the game is easier to play because it makes sense like Mm -hmm. you were saying the scavenger birds catch other birds um the the type of food they eat um goes along with it which habitat they go into it just all makes sense yeah it really does and we'll get into gameplay in a second but they really do go together um this is this is a game that is way prettier than it needs to be. It's the eggs aren't even necessary. They could have been little cubes, but it's so cool that they're eggs. And I think they're actually some kind of plastic, but they look scarily like those Easter M and M's, the peanut M and M's. Um, they look good enough to eat, so be careful around kids. Uh, the eggs are great. The dice are fantastic, chunky wooden dice with engraved images. They're the food dice. Speaking of the food dice... Comes the, with the birdhouse. Uh, yeah, the yeah. bird feeders. Totally unnecessary. Um, well, yeah, I guess it is a birdhouse. But anyways, the birdhouse is uh, it's cardboard, but it's a sturdy cardboard, uh, collapsible uh, dice tower where you can throw your dice down it. Totally unnecessary. You, it's only five dice. You can roll them on the table. No big deal. But it's cool. Um, the cards are gorgeous. And a very good quality. The player boards, like Anna said, are great. It even comes with a tray to hold all your cards. It's just... (laughs) The only blah thing about the components is the score pad. It's just a black and white score pad. In any other game, a score pad is totally just a bonus. (laughs) Anyways, you don't even need it necessarily. But in this game, everything else is just so gorgeous that it stands out as just being a score pad. Um, It's a beautiful game. And the thing is... I've played games before that I thought were overproduced, and I and I kind of counted as almost as a negative. One that comes to mind, and I don't mean to pick on a game because uh, we're not reviewing it right now, but Grim Forest is a game. I don't think you played it. I played it with um, my friend Adam, who hopefully will get on here, and I think my friend Johnny, who also I hope will be on here uh, from time to time. We played it, and it was a cool little game, but it was so overproduced for what it was. But in this game. Everything except maybe the bird feeder. And even it, really, you're using it constantly. You're picking up the eggs constantly, the beautiful cards. You're chucking the dice around the bird feeder. So you're using these pieces constantly. So I love that they're so pretty and they're so well made. And the other thing is, Stolmeyer really is not charging a premium price for this game. I think it retails for 55 And I might be wrong about that, but that is really reasonable for how gorgeous this game is. I mean, your average board game retails for 50 to $60 now. Your average big box board game. Um, so, I love that they're not really overcharging for the lavish components. So, yeah, n- knocked it out of the park component-wise. It's going to be hard to top this for a, a regular standard non-special edition board game. It's going to be hard to top this. This looks like it came off Kickstarter and was like the deluxe edition. Super deluxe edition. That's what it looks like. So, I think it's, honestly think it's a bargain component-wise. But that wouldn't even matter if it weren't for the gameplay. So, gameplay, let's get into it.
And uh, I think I like this game so much because it feels that magic weight of games for us where it's just complex enough to feel like we've really played something substantial. But in all actuality, the rules are very simple. I mean, even the symbology that Anna mentioned, most of it just makes sense. And you see it over and over. In every game, you're going to see all the symbols many times. By the end of the first game, I'll be surprised if it doesn't make sense to everyone. Right. Yeah, you just need one playthrough to to get it. And a two-player playthrough is, gosh, maybe 35, 40 minutes. I mean, I think once you know what you're doing, a two-player game is definitely under 45 minutes. Um, it, It is going to take more time the more players you have. The box has 40 to 70 minutes. I think that's totally fair. I think four experienced players can knock this out in an hour. I wouldn't be surprised if we keep playing this regularly that we're knocking out two-player games in 30 minutes to the point that we'll probably want to just shuffle the deck and play again because it might be too much to set up for a 30-minute game. Um, Because I feel like we finished this one in 40 minutes or so tonight. Yeah, it felt fast. Um, We've played it four or five times now. I think we played three times two-player and one time three-player. I liked it pretty much equally with two and three. And I... And I think four would be great as well. I think most games that claim they play, say, two to five players, sometimes the two-player game isn't as good. Thankfully, that's not the case. I think the two-player game is great in this one. And sometimes the five-player game is a bit of a stretch. And I would say it will probably work fine with five, but I'd rather just play with two to four and not push it because it's just going to take longer between turns. You're going to get to do less, I think, probably. Because there's going to be more players. Well, and the turns, <clears throat> especially in the beginning, can be a little thinky for me. Yeah. Like, you, you, it does take a little bit to decide the best move. So, yeah. with five people, especially people that are new to it, it would probably take a while. I think this does compare, the more I think about it. It doesn't feel like Terraforming Mars to me at all. But now that we're done and I'm sitting back thinking about it, the kind of thinking it requires is comparable to Terraforming Mars, just a lighter. Yeah. It's like Terraforming Mars when you don't quite have the time or the brain power. This is terraforming Mars for the work night, in my opinion. Like, yeah. I, I totally play this on a work night. It'd be fine. Whereas terraforming Mars, although it's really not that complex of a game once you played it a couple times, um, I think it might be a bit much for a work night. So, I don't know. It's, I, I think it's just really smooth. Anna's right. The first time, it's a little different. Like, the whole idea of the tableau and the way you're playing the cards out. And... If you choose to take a, an action that is drawing cards, then that's considered the water region. So you activate your cards in the water region. They just activate from right to left. Uh, for example, this card says, when activated, lay an egg on this bird. This one says, when activated, tuck a card from your hand. And if you do, you also get to lay an egg. So you're basically gaining two points, for example, with that ability. Because you're tucking a card, meaning that bird is basically gathering another bird. Plus, you're laying an egg. So, like I said, at the end of the game, everything on or under a card is worth a point. So, it's real easy to score at the end. Um, I think if this game were like a two-hour game and it drug on for, say, two hours, I wouldn't be so impressed. But for a game that's like Ticket to Ride length or Carcassonne length, as a two-player game, it's it's very comparable to those two in length. I think it's a it's kind of a knockout. Well, it's a four-round game, correct? Yeah, like four, rounds, four rounds. That's it. So you know, you know when it's going to end. It's very. Yep. Um, even though it is, you know, there's some strategy behind it. 
it's not like you're waiting on a deck of cards to run mm-hmm. out or for someone to get to a certain point. It's just no. four rounds. And that's a good point. It's always four rounds because there's a bonus award at the end of each round. And you always have the same number of cubes um, no matter how many players are playing. So I guess you do get the same number of actions whether you're playing with two or five. It's simply just going to take a lot longer with more players. Right. Because you get eight actions in the first round, then seven, then six, then five. So what is that? Uh, 15, 21, 26 actions. You're getting to do 26 things during the game. But that's kind of misleading because as the game goes on, you're getting bonus actions for free as you do an action. So it's 26 turns, you might say, but you're getting bonuses on some of those turns. It's just a lot of fun. I mean, that's the bottom line. It's a lot of fun. It's not just window dressing. I do love the theme. I love the birds. They're so pretty. But if this was just widgets, like, you know, random gears and cogs, and is literally building an engine or something like that, truth be told, the game would probably be just as fun. But to bring back what you said earlier, part of the fun is probably that the theme and the and the art and the components work so well together. Like, I feel kind of like... I'm I'm feeding my birds. I feel kind of like I'm I'm <laughs> I was gonna say I feel kinda of like I'm laying eggs. <laughs> How do you put it? Like it feels thematic and it's still abstract like all games are to some extent, but mm-hmm. it feels thematic to me. Well, to me a beautiful game just makes it memorable and it makes it more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um I love I love whimsy in a game and and I love I was a teacher for nine years and I love learning in a game education and like this actually has little facts about the birds that are just fun and quirky and Mm -hmm. um i you know i just love something with a theme that you can learn from and that's beautiful to look at and plays great yeah it's just it's a great it's a great package deal to me um but this is a review so the smooth gameplay, the fun gameplay, the the mixing of the mechanics with the theme, the time that it takes to play, the, the how easy it is to teach once you get your head around it, is all an A-plus for me. Um, the only negative from a gameplay standpoint, it's not even a negative, it's just a neutral thing. The Probably the weakest point in the whole game for me is the bonuses at the end of the round. It's just because they're they're just... They're not as interesting as the rest of the game. It's just... But it doesn't take away from it either. It's just... If there's any area that I think they'll probably beef up in future expansions, because, well, there's already one expansion coming out, and I'm sure there's going to be several, at least. Um, The the thing is, this game really doesn't need expansions. It's just going to be for fun. There's tons of variety in the bird cards. The order they come out in. um, And the bonus cards. I didn't talk much about them. But that really gives you something to strive for. For example, you could get a bonus for having... There's some really cool ones. Like, for having birds that have someone's name in it. For example, Franklin's Gull. Or, I don't know, Billy's Robin. I just made that one up. But there's birds that are named after people. And so basically, if there's an apostrophe S on your card, then it's it qualifies for that bonus. Other ones might give you a bonus for having birds that are predators. You know, just whatever. So that gives variety, and I know the expansions are going to have more bonus cards in them. Well, and I I kind of like the round bonuses though because it gives me kind of direction. Yeah, like with a with a strategy game, 
sometimes those objectives just ground me a little bit Mm -hmm. and they give me something to focus on, especially the first couple of times you play it. It just, yeah, it kind of helps you get started for me. I I like being grounded in those objectives and having something to work toward. And, um, yeah, it it just kind of gives you a jumping off point. I think that's true. I think that's why they're there. And, and I think the way you need to think of the end of round objectives is just another way to make points. It's not like, um, say ticket to ride. We pretty much have to complete destination tickets to win. It's not like that. The end of round objectives are just another way to make points. And if you want to kind of ignore them, you can, and you might still win. But it gives people, like Anna was saying, it gives them some direction. So it's not a bad thing. But if they have expansions, which they are, that's the one area. I would just like to see more. Like, uh, give us some different uh, end of round uh, goals to meet. And I'm sure they'll do that. So that's stretching, really. That's not even a negative. Like I said, to me, that's just sort of a neutral point. It's such a great game. It's a, it's, it's it's one of those whole package kind of games. Because it doesn't really have a true weak point, And it's got the art, the components, and the gameplay. So it's... I'm not saying it's my favorite game. It's, it's not my number one favorite game. But it excels at every major category. So it, I think it is a great game. Well, I, I wasn't really thinking of it from a review standpoint. I guess that makes sense that we would review it at the end. But um, I was trying to think what makes it maybe not what it would be missing or what a negative would be. Um, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's a negative as much as there's just different types of games. And this one's a very calm game. Like the art to me is very calm. Yeah. You're not getting in people's way. You're not, um, you're not actively competing with someone for resources or. This is not a game that's going to raise your blood pressure. Right. And, and to me, like, I don't know that it excites me as much as say Dinosaur Island. Cause that's what's sitting right in front of us. Mm-hmm. Um, that like a game where you're, you're competing a little bit more actively can, can feel more interactive and have like, have all of the great art and the theme that we're talking about, but also that, that yeah. kind of component of excitement. Like, but, but I love games like this too, that are just very mm-hmm. calming and, um, you know, you can just kind of sit and think through it and think through the points that you're yeah. earning. And, and it's, you know, it's fun to see how you do at the end of it. Um, but I would say, and I'm not even saying that's a negative. I'm just saying it's the type of game. No, that's it is. fair. That's fair. It's not, uh, you know, I didn't really think about that. It's not, it's not even exciting in the way that terraforming Mars is, but it's very, I think it's, uh, it's satisfying. Yes. It's satisfying without being exciting. And I think that's fine for some games. But you're right. Um, we've recently started playing Lahav, which is a much heavier, more thinky game. Um, and I do plan to review that at some point for sure. But our last game of Lahav, Lahav that we played, um, I was just tore up. I just felt like a, a dummy. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my head was kind of hurting. Um, I was like, how could I make so many mistakes in one game? This is not like that. You might realize, oh, I could have done that better. But you're pretty much going to be getting something done on every turn. And you just feel pretty good by the end of it. Yeah. But I still want to win. I mean, I beat you by one point tonight, and I think you've won two of the other three games we played of this. Oh, yeah. It, so it I, I was you, glad to beat you by one point. It gives you something to work for. I mean, it is, it is like you said, it's satisfying. Yeah. It's just not actively it's, yeah. competitive or 
necessarily yeah. like you said it's not a game that's going to raise your blood pressure the interaction in this game there actually is quite a bit but it's not very negative right the only negative interaction you can really do is to take a f- the food that somebody else wanted but there's going to be more food coming out because those dice are rolled often yeah, it's the actual the interaction of this game is you might have a card in your field that says when another player lays an egg in the grass or something like that which sounds funny but when another player lays an egg in the grass area you also get to lay an egg, you know, in the grass area or something like that. So it's positive interaction, really. Anyways, that's probably enough of that. Um, I'm a numbers guy. I like to assign scores. It's up to you if you want to or not. <coughs> Excuse me, I need to drink some water. Ah, this episode brought to you by a Crying Baby and H2O. Um... I- I think with this game, just to throw a number out there, I'm probably landing at an 8.5 out of 10, which is very high for me. I don't throw around high scores a whole lot. Most games, to me, land somewhere in the 7 range, you know. Games that I choose to keep, you know, because they're good, but they're not not that something extra special. I think this game is that something extra special. Probably what keeps it out of the 9, 9.5 range for me is it's probably not the most exciting game. Anna's actually right about that. Um, but it is what it is, and I think it's about perfect at being what it is. So for me, it's an 8.5 out of 10, and it's a complete package. Um, and honestly, if an expansion comes along that beefs up those end-of-round goals a little bit, adds even more variety, although, like I said, it doesn't really need it. I'd probably bump this up to a 9 pretty easy. As of right now, it sits out at 8.5 for me. Um, not my absolute favorite game, but I'm sure glad to have it, and, uh, I think it's one that'll stay around for years. Um, I think it'll be sort of a a classic for some people because it is just so beautiful and classic looking. Do you care to give a score or are you good with that? I mean, I can't... I, I mean, I have a number that's floating in my head, but I don't know if I have a good, really a good system worked out for it. Well, just, we really did. We did talk about this ahead of time, but... It's kind of an impression more than anything, yeah. I guess. So I don't know if it's, if it's really fair. Um... I think the number that was floating around in my head was a seven because oh wow it's well but to me that's above average but yeah um so I do like this game more than you I was wondering about that well I I you seem to be struggling with it a little bit which is I only say that because you beat me in most games including ones that are a lot heavier than this now my son's sneezing we're falling <laughs> apart here. You beat me at most games. It just is what it is, including ones that are heavier than this. But I get the sense sometimes that your gears are kind of grinding more than mine on this game. To me, this is such an easy flowing game. Like, I don't know. There's just are different types of games, and maybe this one doesn't quite click for you. But I think it probably will if it doesn't, though. Well, I, I think it clicks. I think that the, I think the reason that I have that impression. Is one, I think I'm just thinking of the numbers differently than you probably like. There's games that I, there's games that are beloved to me because of like memories that are associated with it, like where we played it or when we played it, um, like great games. But does that make sense? Like yeah. there's kind of games that I would put higher, but it's not because this isn't a great game. It's just because, oh, yeah. um, there's, there's quite a few I games know. I put higher. I mean, they, like 
I don't know, on my shelves, there, there's, there are games I rate nine, nine and a half. I even, I, I'm not afraid to give a 10 either because there's no such thing as a perfect game. My favorite game that I played, my favorite, say, four or five games might get a 10. Um, this isn't my favorite and it's not quite, probably not quite in my, t- uh, it might be in my top 10. I don't know. I'll have to play it some more to know. Um, I think gameplay wise, it would probably fall just short of my top 10. But you add in the beautiful theme, the just, I just like pretty things. I like things that are pleasant and good. And this game is so wholesome, for lack of a better word. Yeah. It's so beautiful just to look at. I think it does bump it up for me. Um, but you're right. Like, let's let's compare it to a couple games real quick we played recently. Dinosaur Island, which is a very popular game that we're kind of late to the party to. Um, Dinosaur Island. And what's another one we played quite a bit recently? Oh, um, Grand Austria Hotel, which is definitely a heavier game. Yeah. I'm going to say, I actually prefer the gameplay of both of those games over this. Those, I would both rate higher than this. Um, yes. But, yeah, I think I'm, I'm sticking with my eight and a half. Your seven is still respectable. We do use the whole one to ten scale or zero to ten scale. So, to me, a five is incredibly average in the middle of the road. Take it or leave it. So, still, a recommendation from us. I guess this is Cardboard Cave approved. Miles, do you agree? Definitely. <laughs> So he's really I'm, cute right now. I know this is probably annoying to all of you, but no, you know. he he just thinks that we're talking to him. So yeah, we are keeps, talking a lot. He keeps reacting. He just keeps staring at us and talking back, <laughs> and sometimes getting frustrated because because we're not looking at him. Our full attention is not on him. <laughs> yeah, is there anything else you wanted to say before Miles falls apart? Um, no, just that my my seven is no. Uh, I mean, I, slap on the wrist. I really do. I really do like this game, and I I think it's a, a beautiful game. Just really beautiful yeah and i love that i I love the theme and i love the artwork um and it's fun to play and it's fast to play it's an easy an easy game to play that like you said burns your brain a little bit but not to the point where it's a commitment (laughs) a hardcore commitment yeah because i love games like la havre and grand austria hotel but i just can't do that every night of the week my brain is kind of burnt after work sometimes and this is about all i can handle um, so I do, I do like this weight of game, this depth, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's there a, we go. It's a great game. Um, that's like Wingspan. Um, we're gonna have to review a more obscure or older game next time. So I don't look like a liar when I say we're going to cover not just the new hotness because this game is crazy hot. In fact, it's just now coming in stock. I think, by the way, don't pay over about $50 or so for this game. Um, there's people charging way more than that because it's been so hard to find, but it's coming in stock. They're printing more. You should be able to find it for $50, give or take. Um, and I think it's well worth it. So that's been Cardboard Cave. We'll see you next time. Miles says hello and goodbye. And, uh, for, for Miles and for Anna, this is Trevor. See you later.